0: everyone, for tuning in to Northview's Extra Podcast. We're doing it to a little bit of a beat that uh, Jeff is laying down here today. Oh, we got Jeremy having problems swallowing. (laughs) Are you you choking? Uh, This is episode number 203, so thanks for listening. See if you can make it all the way through to the end, because that would be helpful. Andy's here. Good to be here. Greg's here. Hi. Jeremy, the intern's here. Hello. Jeff is here. Hi. Ezra, you're just waiting to say hi. I was waiting. Why? Why are you so excited? Because I'm
1: because you're here, Darcy. Oh, you just totally made. He that He spent up. the first few minutes of the podcast uh, checking his phone, though. No, was yeah. texting my wife.
0: Oh, all mm. right. Ab- about? Huh? I'm on the podcast <laughs> right now. Yeah. All right. Excited. So let's jump into it. There okay. you go. So, big earthquake happened in Nepal. Mm. Oh man. So. And I, I like what? Thirty nine hundred, I think I heard. No, now I it's know? over four thousand. It that, just keeps that have going been up. confirmed yeah. yet? I mean, once they get out to yeah. the villages and everything. Yeah, it just keeps going up. Hmm. So one of the questions that arises from that, and and I mean, most of these people that have been killed would would have been non-believers. Certainly wouldn't have had faith but, in Christ.
2: By the way, I've been to Nepal, and I was look I a couple times. I was looking at the pictures, and, and it's just it's just sad. It's just tragic. Yeah. Not just like loss of like heritage too. Like there's some. Beautiful buildings that were destroyed and I world mean, heritage Heri- world sites, heritage sites. Just sites leveled and and of course um, the amount of loss of life too yeah. is just awful.
0: So the question that would arise out of that, I mean, if God knows that all those people will be spending eternity in <laughs> hell now because they didn't know Him, why does He allow something tragic like that to happen? It's a bigger question than
1: that. I mean, ultimately, that you have to ask the philosophical question about uh, what what is God after in the world and is it only the saving of people? So yeah, there are hard challenges right and this gets involved in the problem of evil and in this case natural evil and yeah, natural right evil. so it's not actually something that somebody committed right. some act that a human agent committed which is in some ways a little bit more troublesome to me because we can we can play mm-hmm. around with languages mm-hmm. of language of free will or what kind of will, some, what kind of freedom people have. But when you're dealing with natural evil, you're dealing with the Bible is explicit regarding God's authority over the created right. world. So, yeah, I mean, Job's the the rain. He sends the rain and the, and the freezing rain on whatever it is that he wants. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we are faced with a God who has sovereign power over his creation uh, and an earthquake that not only did he know about, but... Uh, the Bible seems to indicate that God has a very providential, you know, a direct action regarding the kinds of things to happen on our earth, right? He says he, he brings the, he makes the, the, the sun to shine on the, mm-hmm. or sorry, makes the rain fall and the just and the unjust alike. So, so God is actively involved in mm-hmm. the rain. So God um, actively <coughs> caused this yeah, earthquake. I think that the scriptures would say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? Right. Luke 13. Uh, There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate had done some really awful thing to the Galileans. And he answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell. So here's a better one, right? So this doesn't have to do with anyone's will. Right. Those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Because that was the viewpoint that many would have had. Uh, See, people get get what they deserve. And so these guys ran up, and this tower somehow fell over. Maybe it was an earthquake, uh, and it fell over and squished them. Ah, see... What we learn from this, people would say, is that those people are bad because they got bad things. And Jesus' response is, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you, all, you will all likewise perish. Mm-hmm. So what are we supposed to learn from these sorts of events? Uh, we're supposed to learn that God will bring his judgment upon the earth. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is a deliberate judgment for a deliberate sin, uh, in any way, please understand that I'm not saying that. Oh, they got they, they got judged because of their I don't know idolatry, whatever. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think that the Bible teaches that when these things happen, the lesson that we ought to be learning is um, repent, or we also will perish. That we do, the question should be going through our minds is why didn't an earthquake hit atmosphere today, and why didn't it crush us? So God has given us more time now. To repent he also gave the people of Nepal a significant amount of time to repent as well right. right so I don't know you guys tell me if that's misguided I want you to correct me if you think that that's not not true but I, I I often turn to Luke 13 whenever we are
0: faced with these challenges so in a sense God is being gracious by giving time the rest of what would God what billions should God, of people
2: time what should God do when people when people sin against him? Well, first, um, I think it's important, maybe just to back up a little bit, that we see this earthquake as a bad thing, and we see this loss of life as a bad thing, and we and we cry out that this isn't the way that the world should be. Mm. And I think in that sense, we all agree, this isn't the way that the world should be. Very good point. And that we believe that there's a way that the world should be, mm-hmm. in a world in which there aren't earthquakes and people aren't... Uh, you know, dying. killed and dying and destroyed. Yes. So
1: why isn't the world like that, Andy?
2: Yeah, and see now this gets to this idea of sin and that we live in a broken world. We live in, in a world in which not only has sin and corruption affected us and uh, uh, personally our, our our morality is is flawed in that we are rebellious broken people but that that in the fall it wasn't just humanity that fell or in angels that fell, it was creation itself. So.
1: So my answer is the reason the world's this way is because we made it this way. Correct. That our, our rebellion against God had cosmic effects. Yeah. yeah. And that's the way that the biblical story works, yes. right? Yes. Um, so, so there's a ripple that goes out yes. to all the creation. In the redemption, there's a ripple that comes back, right? Yeah. You have in um, Romans 8, the whole creation <laughs> waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. Notice that language, that the, the creation will be healed as a result of the sons of God being healed. Mm-hmm. So creation the creation was destroyed or cursed, or cursed because of the <clears throat> sons of God, meaning uh, us people being being uh, cursed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So <clears throat> my, my point still remains, though, is what, what should a just God do
0: toward the rebels who have ruined his world? Mm-hmm. Some people would say he should just kind of sit back and... Let things happen. Well, he, I'm so if, if those plates that moved all of a sudden is not mm-hmm. God causing it, but it's just the result of sin and the fall, mm-hmm. that there's these <coughs> plates that move and cause an earthquake, and God's just watching going, oh,
1: then we well, needs. that's too bad. That's not the way the Bible describes God's involvement with his world. Yes. I mean, there, there are a myriad of passages. I, I cited one in Matthew 5, right? Um, that he causes the rain to fall in the just and the unjust alike. God causes it. Now you, you're going to say, oh, but yeah, but he, there are look at all the natural processes that are used, right, the water cycle and all that. Right. Both are true. Mm-hmm. God uses means, but just because we can point to the natural processes doesn't mean that God's superintending and sustaining those natural processes. The Bible seems to indicate that he is sustaining them. The whole world is sustained by the word of his power. So those natural processes are happening because... God is deliberately willing them to happen it, you can go throughout the scriptures and find seri- a myriad of places where mm-hmm. where the weather patterns are God's work
3: mm-hmm.
1: so I- I'm just saying that it's our naturalism it's our it's our it, it's our mm-hmm. worldview in the West that is causing us trouble to think that oh well God's not involved in these sorts of things. Everyone else on the planet I guarantee you the people in Nepal look at what happened and they think to themselves, Mm. Mm. There's something behind that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or as Buddhists, they think that you, the world is evil or karma or some, some sort of, yeah. What's interesting though is that, that Jesus is dealing even with the way that they would, I think, that the way that they would view it, which is the karma bit. Mm-hmm. He's saying, no, this isn't karma. This is, this is going to happen to everybody. Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so the point is, though, is that God, God... God doesn't have a problem with all of us dying.
1: Right. Mm. Isn't that That's exactly what we deserve. So actually, instead of pointing your finger, our finger at God and saying, why does God do these mean things to people? What we should be doing is re- looking around us and saying, why am I living in the lap of luxury when I'm a rebel against the Almighty God?
2: One repenting. of the things, too, that to me is a, an important issue to raise is, is we live in a culture that will point its finger at... What's happening in Paul and say, oh isn't this a terrible thing? Right. Well, it seems though that you've got like this dilemma well on what on, on what worldview do you see it as a terrible thing? So on the Christian worldview we would say, yeah, this is a terrible thing, this loss of life yeah. is is awful but outside of a Christian worldview I don't, like if you take a naturalist worldview, I mean what do you have you just you just have an earthquake that just so happened to kill a lot of people and destroy a lot of buildings. But in what way can you say that it's mm-hmm. bad, wrong, or shouldn't or be that evil. way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, and so to me, and, and I know we talk a lot about this, uh, this question of moral or natural evil is a question that everybody needs to to deal with. Mm. And that it's only in the Christian worldview that I see any way to, to deal with that. Because outside of a Christian worldview, uh, if you take a naturalist worldview, then it's, it's it's not it's not how in what sense would you call it evil it's just nature just it's just just what happened yeah Yeah, it's just um yeah and i don't even know in what way would it be unfortunate too Mm. it's just it's just Uh, particles because
1: because people lost their lives right it's unfortunate in the sense that what what a what a hard hard thing you know for somebody who's a naturalist this just points to the chaos yeah right how meaningless and chaotic the world is and it sends you down, the, down the, the spiral of nihilism where you're just like, you know what, there's no point in any of it. And people can't live there, so they respond by becoming really rabid existentialists, right? See, tomorrow you might have an earthquake hit you in the face, so today I'm going to have as much sex and do as much drugs as I can. Because, or what? Maybe that's not, not your cup of tea. Maybe that's not the thing that is just going to give you the most existential bliss. Uh, I'm going to watch sports as much as I can. I'm going to go on vacation. Go on just vacation gonna, as much. I'm spend yeah. as much. Whatever, because the world it's is the bucket chaotic list, and right? sucks.
2: You, and you do so what on, you can before destroy. it's your time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, now, now let's take like the Nepali worldview, or not Nepali, but the Nepal tends to be a mix of Buddhism and Hinduism. So what what does their worldview think of what took place? <coughs> and uh the the Buddhist or the Hindu worldview is just gonna say, depending upon the type of Buddhism, but there it would be Theravada, that this is just an illusion anyways, is it's, it's just Maya, you know. Just nothing really took place. Or if in a Hindu worldview that this was just karma, this was what we got what we those people that died got what they deserved. They
4: got what they deserved.
0: It would be interesting how many of those people all really believe one of those two things now. Well,
2: right. Well, and then that's the hard part too, right? It's because the ultimate ends in either Hinduism or Buddhism is to cease to exist. Mm. So it's like, well, cease to exist now, cease (coughs) to exist later well, the hard part is that these people must have done something bad, so they got to come back and do more good so that they yeah. can cease to exist later. <laughs> I mean, again, yeah. it's only in the Christian worldview that I can make any sense of it. But to say yes. that it's not troubling, it's still troubling. Oh, yeah. But it's only in the Christian worldview that I can make any sort of sense of it. Right. Yes.
4: But I would also say, again, going back to going back to the, the reaction of the people who are actually experiencing this tragedy in Nepal uh, – they would look at it as tragic in the sense that yes, every time there's loss of life, there's a, it's tragic if it's like in in, in such a situation, but they are not asking the same questions we are. And the moment we start assuming that Mm -hmm. we are asking the same questions that we are asking, we are dead wrong. Because their worldview, as you have mentioned, Andy, their worldview will lead them to ask different questions. They're not going to ask why. The why question is not in their, in their, in their, in their, uh, on their lips because their worldview
2: would lead them down a different trajectory now, the than one ours. The one thing, though, that I would agree with Darcy, and I think that this is just, uh, it, it points us to the reality of, uh, <clears throat> of a truth that we all appreciate, and that is that, that they are, they do have a sense that it, this shouldn't happen, mm-hmm. that this isn't good, right? That the world shouldn't be this way. And and if, again, if the world shouldn't be this way, well, how should the world But I be? don't
4: know if they're asking that question, Andy, because that is a very Judeo-Christian Western question, like them feeling like it's, it's like, OK, it shouldn't be like this if it's karma. That's not a question. Well,
2: the reason I'm I'm saying that is because I think that there's even a conflict within their own spirits on this. So let's just take a Mm -hmm. woman, for example, who her husband's in a building, dies. Mm -hmm. She's not going to think to herself, oh, my husband deserved it. Must have done something bad. Maybe he was cheating on me. Mm -hmm. Right? No, she's going to be sad and she's going to be upset over that loss of life. And she's going to be mourning the loss of her husband. And so I, I would say, yes, her worldview says... Okay, Karma deserved it, but at the same time she knows, I would say, that that no that that there's that there's more than that, that that that, that death is wrong, bad, yeah. that this isn't the way it should be. He should still be alive kind of idea. That's that's what I'm saying. I would say that there'd be a conflict in their spirit on
4: it. They there might be. They might be, yes. The reason I, I, I say this is I remember watching I was watching the C B C news, The National. And sometimes the National has small little documentaries, like maybe a 10-minute little piece. And they focused or highlighted um, women in India, and especially in, in very poor remote areas who have been widowed. So their husband died, and maybe this women, either they, they don't have kids or whatever, and they highlighted a, a specific young woman who's 25 years old and she was married to a man who was at 70 like she was going to be the fifth or sixth wife or whatever married off to this guy so she had no kids and then he died shortly after she got married to him and now obviously because she was married and the diary was passed on and all that her family had now said goodbye she was as good as dead to her family and she's now married to this other family Hmm. he dies and obviously the sons and the uncles and everyone comes and takes everything that this man owns and she was left with nothing. And she now had to go and live in this colony of women who are widowed and have nothing. And so they were interviewing her and trying to find out what her thoughts were regarding this and all that. And she, for, as, as she was communicating, she was just saying, you know, now it seems like I'm all but dead. Like there is no, there is no meaning Mm-hmm. to my life right now because I'm a nobody in my culture. I'm a nobody in in, in this place. So I guess my fate is sealed. And she was a beautiful girl, 25 years old, but her whole world was gone the moment this man died. Yeah. So obviously, me, who's been Western, uh, I'm, I'm Westernized in my thinking right now, and a lot of Western people will look at this story and the comments that came in emails after, saying how this is so tragic. Can't she see? Can't she? Can't she? Can't she? Yeah. But our worldview has not yet influenced her to think the way we do. And so she wasn't, she wasn't asking the questions that we might be asking. Now, we may think or assume that she's thinking the same things, but that was not what came through to, uh, in the interview that was being given. My point here is
2: mm-hmm.
4: the way our worldview, our Western worldview has shaped our thinking is not the same way. Mm. Yeah. And even, even our naturalism here in North America is v- steeped in Judeo-Christian thinking heavily. Yeah. And so yeah. the questions that a naturalist will ask are also driven by a Judeo-Christian worldview that has influenced our culture and the way we do things. Mm. Oh, absolutely. That's not the case. In Asia, or even in remote Africa, not the case.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I I agree. I just I still think that there's this um, there's this pushback even in their own culture that they that they have. I, I think of like the Dalits, for example, mm. in India, and and how many of them come out of the caste system uh-huh. and will and embrace Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, that that they understand. You know, and but they'll but there's still that conflict, right? Where they'll still yeah. think maybe I deserve to be a delete. Be, you know, but, you, but if you don't know what that is, it's the lowest rung on the caste system. Yes. And it tends to be that those people are the ones that are the quickest to embrace exactly. Christianity. I think, but I think there's still a pull. Yes, like think, right, worldviews are colli- the, the, colliding. The
4: pull, the pull comes in because again, we live in a world where now with social media and mm-hmm. and exposure to different ways of doing things. So when you see a westernized way of doing of doing <coughs> things begins to invade and permeate in these other areas, now you begin to question your own worldviews. The same thing that's happening in Africa, where you have have now a Western way of doing things is coming in, and so it's challenging some of some of your traditional ways mm-hmm. now because we now want to be Westernized. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean for a, for someone who lives in the third world? So so you begin to watch shows, sitcoms on TV that will begin to introduce a different way of of. Um, of of doing marriage or doing family or different role for a husband and a wife and how women now need to go out and do this and this and that and the other where women in those areas never thought of themselves as being oppressed until they encountered a different worldview and then they began hmm, huh, maybe I am oppressed and then the conflicts begin hmm. so I I don't know again how how Western or westernized, various places in Nepal have been to right. to move people to begin to question or ask the questions we would be asking in regard to the
1: earthquake that took place. It'd be interesting to talk to some people from Nepal about yeah. this.
2: Speaking of that, do we have missionaries in Nepal? We do. We, we do. do. Yeah, are they there now?
0: Yeah, and they're okay. They're they're fine. And uh, the the one organization at least has uh, a number of people there that are starting to reach out to people that are suffering and, and in need. So mm. there'll be more more on that coming for sure. And we have a have vi- they told us much? Not a whole lot, no. no.
3: We have a video on our North Sea Facebook page about uh, Matt and Noah Dawes and their wives who went over no to yes. uh, Kathmandu to serve there and do some missions over there. So if you want to get a sense or get a feel for who some North Sea people are who are on the ground, you can just go to our Facebook page and watch that video. And it'll give you a little bit of a, even a little bit of a picture of what, what it looks like of in terms of where just they're serving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Good. Well, thank you for that. And if you have more questions on that, you can send them to extra at org, and we'd be happy to answer them. Well, gentlemen, do you remember a series you did some time ago called the Joshua series? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, this is a long email, but I'm just going to pull out the uh, the question from it. Uh, There were a few messages in the Joshua series that had in them the concept that formations of rocks were used as reminders of how God came through in the past and that we can trust that God will do miraculous things in the future as well. So they built these monuments. Memorial stones, yeah. My question is, what is a good way to do that today? I have heard it said that if you're not remembering God's faithfulness, then you're forgetting it. So I'm trying to think of good ways of remembering his work in my life.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, what are some practical ways for people to build in remembrances? Uh, you do know that the, this is what we do when we get together with communion, right? That, that's what we're doing. That's what Jesus says, remember me. And the reason that the nation of Israel had all of these feasts and festivals was because the year itself was supposed to remind them of how God had been faithful to them. So when you celebrate the Passover, you remember. Mm-hmm. How God was faithful to your to the people, and then the other feasts of the tabernacles and the booths, and I mean all all the different feasts that they would have were supposed to remind them um, about God's goodness and faithfulness, and by keeping those those you, you had a, like a steady schedule of remembrances. You know, we have those though. <clears throat> I know that I know that Pete. There's a real movement in the church today to go back to the Christian calendar, and so that maybe that's one way to do it.
2: Like, are you um, talking, like, Lent or something? Yeah, like that?
1: Lent and all these other things. But I, I don't even think you need to do that. <clears throat> we do this in our culture all the time. We have remembrances. Uh, one of them is called Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of them is called Easter. Uh, we have the weekly remembrance of um, communion or Going monthly. to church. I think that the idea of uh, attending church is, is part of this, that these are practices that you put in place so that you remember what the Lord has has done for you. Um You know, in your personal life, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with having a day or a month. I have a friend who spends a day a month who uh, has a, a, an away day, I think. He just he goes to a place and has some solitude. Ezra doesn't like that because he thinks that's not a spiritual discipline, but anyway. You can go out and you can don't call it a spiritual discipline. Just say that you're going out alone for a little while. You just need some alone time.
2: Yeah, if you ever want to have a long conversation with Ezra, just ask him about spiritual yeah. discipline. So anyway, just go out
1: Go out and, and have a, a day a month where you do that. There's lots of things. I mean, I know people who, who do weekly walks in in the woods or whatever and they pray through a series of these sorts of things the idea is pattern right just come up with a pattern one of the things that i sometimes encourage people
4: is um write down write down from time to time what some of the prayers that you're praying things that you're trusting the lord for Mm -hmm. and maybe you can have a small little (laughs) journal that you write down date it um,
2: is that a spiritual then, discipline? No, it's not. Okay.
4: But, but, I mean, when, if, if you go back, if you go back um, five years later and you mm-hmm. go back to see, you know, this is what you're praying for and trusting the Lord to do. Mm-hmm. And then you look back and see, man. Yeah god did amazing things so yeah. the
1: blessings of journaling yeah just, just you, you just write that. it down yeah. just write it down and you and you will see one of the practice a lot of people can help with ju- exactly. journaling and yeah. writing down their their prayer life and these sorts of things
2: yes. yeah. one one of the things that we did as a family that's more like the whole stone thing was we got all the grandkids together so my kids and the other kids in our family and we actually these uh... twelve inch by twelve inch stone blocks um... we took Pieces of broken glass, like like um, not just like like colored broken glass, like that's meant to be used. And and each of the kids made something that was so the, your kids play with. I know broken exactly. Glass. It sounds worse than it is. Uh, so basically, they arranged these these colorful pieces of glass uh, into something that was memorable to that child. And uh, and then they poured cement over it and made these foot mm-hmm. uh, block, like stones like for like yeah. walking on. And uh, so my um, parents, my, my wife's parents, so my in-laws, uh, so that they pray for the kids. They have these stones in their backyard, and as they see those, they, they pray for their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, so, like, that, there would be a possibility. But I think the thing that what Jeff was saying is the idea should be um, that we do have these things that do remind us specifically in the context— of the Bible, what God has done.
4: You know what might be also uh, quite helpful is if uh, around the dinner table as a family, you know, if there's any evidences of God's grace Hmm. that are happening, answered prayer, celebrate them, like mention them, appreciate them publicly in front of your children. If you keep doing this over and over, then one time maybe you're out on holiday or it's Thanksgiving, and you ask, you know, what has God done this year? Because you mentioned, you mentioned those things um, audibly, publicly, around your dinner table, you'll begin to remember, yeah, I remember in January, you know, we thank God for this, or we thank God for that. These were evidences of his grace that happened in my life or in the life of family. If you mention them and you make a big deal, you know, make as much, uh, a bigger deal as you possibly can in front of your kids,
1: they will remember because you said it in yeah. their hearing. Here's a simple way to uh, if you spend any time in prayer, which you ought, um, you should just add a portion at the beginning of your prayers, which I, I mean, I do when I pray of uh, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, just start praying uh, by thanking God for all the things, little things, big things, whatever things mm-hmm. you see today, things that you've experienced recently. It's a good. Exp- it, it's that. That's to me is the simplest way to remember.
2: And it's and it's important. Research has shown that you know a lot of people who either grow weak in their faith or abandon their faith. Um, that uh, they they often don't think that prayer works, or that it has any effect. And so a lot of research that was done, I think of hemorrhaging Faith, and others that was done was saying, you know, maybe one of the things that we should get as Christians into the habit of doing with our kids is reminding them that prayer does work. And not just praying for things with our kids, but I, I now take time not just to pray with my boys, but then to remind them of what we've been praying about right. and how God's answered those prayers.
4: Exactly. Right. Yeah. Outstanding, yes. So there's a bunch great. of ideas. Yeah,
0: and that's mm. great. So if you want to... Uh Bricks with broken glass. You can talk to Andy. <laughs> now and I'm going to need to take a picture of that and put it on Facebook. Yeah. Like- is this another business you have <laughs> going on the side? You
2: introduce <laughs> you, you put your book right next to it. <laughs> I, I put my book in some cement. I've used to, I've actually used your book as stepping stone. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have a book to step on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right,
0: extra team. What would you say is the most effective way to have a constructive discussion mm-hmm. with a family member or friend? who is clearly a christian loves jesus and his word in good and bad times and believes the prosperity preachers and believes they have it right Mm -hmm. basically what it boils down to is that they believe they have verses backing up their prosperity theology and are quick to label the calvinist in this case me as being brainwashed by doctrine and judgmental can i stop real quickly there though
1: just kinda make sure that the the the, the idea of uh,
0: Calvinism is
1: alien to this and I know that the writers might like that label for their own theology but this isn't something that a Calvinist or an Arminian would
0: disagree on I don't think Yeah, so that really Mm -hmm. doesn't matter to it. So anyway, what would your response be to the believing brother and sister in Christ who are wrapped up in this pyramid scheme masquerading as biblical doctrine? Oh, man. You know what, This is a, at the end of the day this is
1: really just a question about the Bible, right? Mm. It's a question about interpreting the Bible in its context. So, right. So you end up saying, well there's a bunch of verses, and I've got a bunch of verses. Oh no, what do we do? We both have our verses I don't I don't actually, I think there's a bad view of the Bible in general. It's basically arguing that the Bible is not clear and it doesn't cohere. So I think what you need to do is do the hard work of sitting down with each one of the texts that the person is citing and show that in the context, that's not either not what it means or maybe it is what it means and you'll change your mind. So that takes difficulty, but I think that if I were going to sit down and talk to a friend, especially the one that you described, I would establish that we both love the Word of God. And that we believe that the word that the authors of the Bible had m- meaning mm-hmm. in their context, then that the best way for us to interpret the Bible is to understand the meaning of the authors in its context. So if we can establish that together, we're on the same page now. Right. So now we just say, all right, let's you pick your text and I'll, I'll bring mine for, and we'll see what the context we'll see together what the context seems to indicate. You know, just take one passage each time you talk. I mean, I think it's a constructive. One of the problems is these things kind of devolve into debate at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But just, I just think the responsibility is just to let the Word of God speak about these things. So Most of the passages that are used by the prosperity teachers are ridiculous.
0: Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. They're kind of cherry-picked, right? They're not well, taken in context. They're just here, when, there. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, but there are different contexts, right? So when I say there are th- different con- what, what I mean is that the context of the author, but then there's the author is living in a particular time, and so there's what we call a canonical context. So the way that God is interacting with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is different than the way the under, he interacts with the people of God in the New Testament under the New Covenant. So that, that, what I just said there is really important for you to understand. Hmm. Hmm. That, that God in the Old Testament under the Mosaic Covenant, he, he was saying, look, if you do well, I will bless you. Like do well meaning like you obey me. I'll, I'll, I'll bless you with material blessings. Those are the promises. You can find them all over the place in the Old. Just read the Psalms. It's all they're about. Do the right thing. I'll bless you. If you don't, do the right thing. What do you get? Curses. What kind of curses? Material Material curses. curses. You'll be poor. You'll be out of the land. Your enemies will come. Right. So this is is spoken to uh, the nation that God has in an actual particular land right? Mm-hmm. So disobedience brings material cursing, obedience brings material blessing. Correct. The prosperity teachers are citing all these texts. And so when and they'll say, look, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches. The, the problem is uh, Jesus. Mm. And when I say Jesus, I'm saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. Je- Jesus is the one who keeps the Mosaic law. Therefore he deserves the blessings of the covenant. By faith in him I now have access to his merit that so so God in some sense owes owes me, but it's not just it's not material blessing although it will be ultimately. It's spiritual blessings again. Ephesians 1, right? God, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So my point is that you can sit down with these thing, these um, passages in the Old Testament and they'll cite that. But the problem that, that people who are prosperity teachers have, one of the problems they have is that they're reading the Bible as if Jesus never came.
2: It, it means then... That the prosperity gospel is correct, they just got it backwards. That the blessing is to come, and this is actually one of the main point. Uh, Piper was actually here hmm. doing um, a look at the book, and that was one of his one of his main points. Was in fact that prosperity prosperity gospel is correct. Uh, the problem with the prosperity gospel. Oh, I here's a, here's a direct quote.
3: Is not. The problem with the prosperity gospel is not that it promises too much, the problem is its timing. Yes, totally. This exactly.
2: is what we
1: call an overrealized eschatology in theology, and that, what that means is that we live between times. Gotcha. So we, we live in a time now where we are already in the kingdom, but not yet totally in the kingdom. Hmm. And so we are in an overlap of the ages, as theologians have said. So the prosperity teachers are saying, hey, look, all of these things were promised in the old co- in the covenant. Jesus fulfills it, therefore it's owed to you. And the New Testament's like, yeah, but not yet. So what is the question then is what is the normal experience of a Christian in this present age? Of a
4: faithful Christian in this present age. And I think mm-hmm. that
1: first Peter's gonna answer that question really clearly. what, what right. is what is the normal experience mm-hmm. of a faithful Christian in this present age. Correct. And I don't think it's going to. the answer is going to be prosperity. In fact, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anywhere in the New Testament where that's actually what's going on there. Um, will it eventually be the case? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We will all prosper in the most sincere way, materially as well, I would say. But Piper's right in saying that. That that, that comes at the return of Christ, ultimately, where the new heavens and new earth are consummated. So then to, to come back to then
4: the 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 person who asked the question the questioners uh, question, how? How do you address this issue? And I think there's got to be tremendous
1: patience. But you have to you have to understand that theology on going down. And you have to be able to demonstrate from the scriptures that this is the way that the, the, the grand swath of the Bible is working. Yes. So here are these passages in the old covenant, they fit within a wider framework of canonical context, which is what we just said. And the fulfillment in those passages will, will ultimately be in, in, in... They already are found fulfillment in Jesus, but not yet totally mm-hmm. in Jesus. And so, you know, the book of 1 Corinthians is actually written to a bunch of people who had an overrealized eschatology. Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of people who had thought, hey, we're already in the kingdom, and so we're like the angels now. And so they were doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And so Paul's actually trying to correct them and saying, hey, 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 that, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet.
0: So you're not saying though that the New Testament is more important than the Old Testament. I'm saying that the new
1: the New Testament uh, is a fulfillment or the new covenant
2: is a fulfillment of the old. See because here's the problem if if the prosperity gospel is the reality then it means that those who are closest to Jesus and followed him that they didn't they didn't get any of that. Like the the pros- where where did Peter or Paul get the prosperity gospel? How, how did that play out for them? Jesus didn't get the prosperity. Jesus didn't get the prosperity gospel. They got prison is what they got. So they got persecution if, and, death. and if,
1: death. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you will read what people got in this age. And the point of Hebrews 11 is that many of the people, that some people got blessing and many did not. But they longed, for a, 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 they longed for a day to come. And they continued to, continue right. to be faithful, knowing that God was going to do what he promised, even if it meant they, they died. In fact, you have this wonderful little section. Paul says
2: this over and over again. Um, that, that for him, that he was working towards heaven. Heaven was the ultimate goal. That was where his sights were set as he did suffer mm-hmm. for the gospel. So in the middle of Hebrews 11,
1: you, you have this, well, it's toward the end, Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, listen to what they did, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That sounds like prosperity to me, doesn't it? So, so here are a bunch of people who experienced that from the hand of God, but it continues. Um, others suffered mocking and flogging. Oh, sorry, start before. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The, I, my point is you have, you have the, the author is very deliberate in giving both sides of this. Yeah, some people are going experience these great things, awesome, and then the other part's not so much. And, and honestly, most of the New Testament seems to be indicating the second part's probably going to be more likely more for come. the people who follow Christ. Not always. <laughs> but your expectation should be that God is going to do what He promised ultimately. But again, the, the, these passages, like Hebrews eleven, is is describing what we're talking about, living in between the ages, and the, with the expectation that God will
0: do it in the age to come. Yeah. Good. Um, so, Jeremy, would you read Matthew five forty one? And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. So for the Christian baker of wedding cakes, mm. should this verse say, if anyone forces you to bake a cake for a gay wedding, bake them two?
1: <laughs> you know, what? I was listening to a podcast that I want to recommend to you. It's called The Mortification of Spin. It's from the Alliance <laughs> of uh, Confessing Evangelicals, and they did. A series, or just a, they, their most recent one, was about this question: to bake or not to bake? Uh, I think the question is a lot more uh, detailed and difficult to answer than we sometimes want to talk about. There's lots of definitions that we want to say. So, do we bake a cake? F- I mean, wh- what does baking a cake for a wedding say about our sponsorship of said wedding? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it mean that we're sponsoring the wedding? I, I don't know. In fact, I, I read, I heard about in First Things, which is a, a actually a Catholic journal, a Roman Catholic um, journal, they recommended a third way when it comes to this whole cake baking thing. They said what you should do, what that you should tell your customers, uh, I will bake a cake for you, for anybody, for their wedding, no matter who it is. But if it's a gay wedding, I'm going to give all of the money from that sale of that cake to a to an organization that is going to fight for marriage for traditional marriage and leave it to the buyer to decide whether or not they want to use me as their cake
2: person. I thought that was actually clever. So you know in
1: in in Matthew ten you get this wonderful little line, right? That says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be so be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I actually think that's, in its context, far more applicable to the way that we have to think about that. One of the, I thought about the First Things article. is was like, oh, that is pretty wise as serpents
3: hmm.
1: and harmless as doves. So, you know, but you're going to get beat up
0: for all this. Um, but for Christians, why has this become the huge issue versus baking a cake for a believer and an unbeliever getting yeah. married?
1: Right. right. Right? Right. So there's a whole bunch of challenges to this, right? Because a lot of these people who have done... Uh, who have who baked cakes, would have been happily baking cakes for a Believer and Unbeliever wedding, which is, you know, biblically, I, I would think, just as troublesome. Right. Um, yeah, so it's a nuanced ch- challenge. And so, I, you know, I, you, what you hear in our podcast sometimes, you hear us feel one way, and then the more we think about it, we feel a little bit more that other way. Like, it's a oh. it's a difficult... Honestly, it's a very difficult subject to think about. I, I don't think, I, I think I've come down t- on, to where the author, the guys who were speaking on the mortification of spin were coming down, which is like, you, you know, I think it's an issue of Christian conscience. Like, I, I wouldn't do it. I really wouldn't do it uh, because I think that you are sponsoring sin. But I wouldn't put you under church discipline if you did it, if you baked the cake. I also don't think I'm going to respond to this question, though, by saying that this passage requires you mm. to bake the cake. Uh, I, I don't believe that that's what Jesus is, is, is after here. I think he's um, – but I have to think about that some more. I would. Good. I don't think – my point is I don't think that Jesus here is saying that I need to participate in someone else's sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? To, to make me walk one mile? I don't see that as sinful. Right. But, but baking a cake for a wedding might be a, an abuse of my conscience, and I might consider it mm-hmm. sinful. And so in that sense, like if it's a non-sinful thing, yeah, go two miles. But it's begging the
0: question of whether or not it's something that I consider to be sinful. Right. Yeah. But if you choose not to bake that cake then for the gay wedding, you better be consistent. Yes. Oh, you better be. Absolutely. Others, then,
1: right? And I think that the, honestly, this is the challenge in it because on the one hand, you also want to say to some of the people who are really getting upset about this and saying, hey, you're being inconsistent and, you know, hateful. I do think that in some ways this whole debate exposes some of the ways that we have been inconsistent in the past regarding labeling sin mm. mm-hmm. or participating in sin. And because it's a sin that our culture mm. approves of, uh, we've been okay with it. So we've syncretized on that level. But when it comes to this one, ooh, we're not going to do it. Uh, so I, th- I think it's a clarifying moment for, for the church, and I think there need to be a lot more discussions had a- around this. Issue. You guys can feel free to disagree with me. I, I'm, I just oscillate on it a bit. Ezra's not going to oscillate. He's still like, nope.
0: I don't know how to bake, so it's not going to be. See,
3: I
1: think the reason why I would, the only
3: reason why I would say someone could is that I, I'm just not convinced that, that as a professional, your involvement in something is your endorsement of the thing. That, that's. Even a wedding? Yeah. So we're talking about a covenant ceremony. Well, if you're willing to do a, if you're willing to do a, a wedding for for non Christians in general, I mm-hmm. think you're already put in a different category. See, so the, if you've opened the door up to that,
1: right? There, there are all, there are all sorts of other questions I, I want to ask too, though, because the wedding ceremony is actually a a, a before God uh, covenant making deal. Reception's I, I also think there are other covenant making deals that we do. We have a lot of business deals that we do before God and before others, and I do think that sometimes we get involved in business deals that we ought not. Get involved in. Is the lawyer who signs off on that deal or is the lawyer who puts the papers together sinful or is he participating in sin mm-hmm. by doing it? But the, look, I'm not saying yes or no. Mm. What I'm saying is, what a great question to be thinking about as a follower of Christ. Like, how are we going to navigate that? See, so I think when it comes to a wedding, though, I would say a marriage is a picture of the
3: gospel. Even yeah, now, they're not Christians. Still, you would say it's a picture of the gospel if they're non-Christians. Okay, but then are you going to say that the law of God does not apply to them? It does. Yeah. Exactly. But I'm saying, I'm asking if it's still a picture of the gospel, if it's a non-Christian wedding. That's what a wedding is. But then to be
2: consistent, then you would need to not make cakes for non-Christians. So are you...
1: Don't talk over each other. Andy was <coughs> oh, just sorry, saying something, I... and Ezra kept talking. No, Andrew, oh. say what you're going to say again. Oh, I was
2: going to say then to be consistent, when you need to not do weddings or bake cakes for non Christians. See, it, okay. When it comes to, I'm, I'm
4: going to argue. I'm going to argue this as a as a pastor um, in a local church. When it comes to weddings, I would I would be very
1: slow, and lean. I, I, would,
4: I would go as far as saying, you know, if someone wants to get married and they're non-Christians, I wouldn't do the wedding.
1: Is there a distinction, though, they, they between what a cake baker is uh-huh. doing and uh-huh. what you, the officiant, is doing? And I'm going to say, say there is. There yes. is. I'm going to say there, there is. absolutely Of course is. there, and is. And so, there is. So this is. Do you understand? This is why this becomes a, it's a difficult subject. My thing is, a few weeks ago, I brought, up an issue, I brought up this issue, and I was really reticent to bring it up because it is somewhat thorny and difficult to work through. What my point in bringing it up was uh, the freak-out session that the culture at large has, if you in any way, because of your conscience driven by religion, want to abstain from doing something like that, there is this massive freak-out session going on in the Western world that you're not allowed. You're absolutely not allowed to believe that. I know of lawyers who who cannot say openly that they are Christians. Because if they, if they do, they will be ostracized and lose all sorts of business. Even though they are Christians, and it doesn't have anything to do necessarily right. with whether or not they're going to get a client or not. Like if people know that they're a Christian and they go to a particular church like it's ours, theirs. yeah, you're hooped. You're absolutely hooped. Or if you defend a certain, if you're a defendant or, or you're the, the lawyer, the counsel for the defendant in, a, in a, a lawsuit that's trying to defend maybe traditional marriage or a viewpoint that's Christian, you're, you're done. That's the thing that's driving me crazy right now, is that I can't even have this discussion in the culture at large because I'm, everyone's going to freak out the moment you start asking questions. Is there, should there be nuances here? Like if I say out loud that the Jim Crow laws in the United States, which many people don't know, I mean, a couple of us are Americans around the table. Jim Crow laws were... Uh, I always ba- want to make it race-related. Ba- well, basically, uh, the, the, the law is that, you, you know, you don't have to serve... Uh, somebody a, a, a lunch at a counter if, you're, if they're black. Now, that's the kind of thing they're talking about. But is that different, serving lunch to somebody because of their race, is that different than doing a gay marriage? See, that's the same thing as you coming into my bakery and me giving you a, make, baking you a cookie while you're being gay. That's, that's the right correspondence. But isn't there a difference between someone who's doing a marriage that they believe is actually sinful and where does religious liberty come into that? And the answer right now in the in the West is like uh, religious liberty isn't coming to anything. No, it's being trampled. You, you don't get to have an opinion. And the great irony here is that the great religion of our culture, secularism, gets a pass, right? Because it's not religious. All the other religions, they get to deal with it. But we're the, we're the true north. We're the ones who know, see things perfectly, all you other religious kooks. You guys can't let your consciences drive you in any way. But our consciences, which clearly drive us to make fun of you and to p- limit you from the public square, we get to make the rules, and now you're going to pay the price. I think, that's, I think that's hypocritical to the highest degree, and it's dangerous
0: for societies going forward. So we just throw up our hands and go, well, you know, like Larry Norman said, we're only visiting this planet, so we're going to leave There's here one a Larry day Norman it, we'll... restaurant
1: reference. Yeah, right you there. You just pulled out Larry Norman. How yep. old are you? Yes, what? What I thought forty. No, no, fifty. Yeah, you're.
0: Old. <laughs> so do we just put up our hands, or do we? I think that do the we passage. Fight, that, well,
1: the passage I said earlier. I think that what I love about the first thing stuff is it's what?
0: Why is a serpent?
1: Yeah, and we have been sent out as she- sheep among wolves, so. So this shouldn't surprise us. You've got to be careful and creative and thoughtful. And I'm going to tell you that it's going to require not just you individually, but your whole church and pastors and others to come around you to try to figure out how you're going to best do your business. What's it look like for you to be a teacher in the public schools when they ask you or tell you, you have to teach this curriculum? Right. So that's going to be hard and and some people are going to say i can't so they're going to go to the private schools and that's that's fine and some are going to say i can't and they're going to go homeschool and that's fine and some are going to say i'm going to try to figure out a way mm-hmm. to be in it to not to, to remove the the offensive portions that, about it
2: and still keep it and see how i see how i go by the way, this is um, something that's happening in Ontario right now. Now, I might be wrong here, but it sounds to me like what's what's being um, put forward in feb. It was put forward in February. It'll take effect in September in Ontario, um, and specifically with regards to grade three. If if you haven't heard about this yet, uh, just in Ontario, and they were talking quite a bit about this, that uh, they'll be teaching in schools that there are six genders, and they'll be, to Only grade six. three. Yeah, only six to grade 3. I think
1: that's don't you, I do find that interesting <clears throat> that that they have to choose a number, don't they? They do. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going with six.
2: Uh, until and, we find another. And whoops, we could read those what they are, but at anyway, um and then encouraging the child to to figure out where where they are on that that spectrum. Now, three. I don't think I don't think in British Columbia we have anything like that. No, we?
1: but I think this is the cultural wind, right?
2: Right. And I think that's the big question out in Ontario. Is this the is this the direction Canada's going? Yeah. Obviously they're continuing to push for right. this.
1: So I think that if you have enough if you have the ability to to uh, fight fight that and when I say fight, I, I mean you use the resources we have through political means as citizens of Canada. We should we should push back in, in British Columbia and elsewhere to say no, we don't think this is the right thing to do. But also recognize that we, we do that as With wisdom, and uh, harmlessness, Mm. and seeking a seeking a way to be faithful while still participating in the public square, the best we can, and it's hard work. Mm. And I think part of that is even just part of that work could even just be
3: something like saying we've all noticed how the narrative has changed, right? Because at first the, the narrative was, "I can't choose, I can't choose to not be gay." Yeah. And now the narrative about gender is, no, you just choose what you want. Right. Which is so, so what is it? Is it
1: that I can't choose or that I have to choose? Well, I think that they would end up saying, though, that, no, no, it's still that you can't choose. It's just that we need to recognize there's lots of different ways that people are born. So we just need to be open to whatever ways somebody is born. Yeah. By the way, as Christians, well, what is the one way you are born? Sinner. Sinner made in the image of God. Yeah. So that answers the questions. You are, you are in need of repentance, yeah. and you have yeah. innate dignity. Mm. And so uh, we we are people who have some theological answers already to the question. Doesn't matter what your gender is. Doesn't matter
0: what whatever. You are a sinner made in the image of God. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for this uh, this podcast. Those of you that listen right to the end, special thank you to you. 54. Four minutes in appreciate you listening uh, every week to the podcast and again if you have any questions please send it to extra at northview.org and Andy paid me to say and don't forget to buy his book
3: oh (laughs)